Are you ready to take action to attain the lifestyle of your dreams? It's a great way to make a lot of money fast, fast, fast. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Clever Investor Show. I'm your lucky host, Cody Sperber, the original Clever Investor. Uh, we're really lucky today. I got a friend of mine named Eric Spofford. If you've never heard of Eric, you're going to want to definitely make sure that you listen to this entire show. Follow this guy on social media because he's not only a phenomenal entrepreneur and a very interesting human being, but he's actually making a massive impact in the world with the way he starts, scales, and runs his companies, his businesses. Uh, in I'm gonna unpack everything throughout the show, but uh, I've had the honor and privilege to get to know him over the last year. And uh, we're here in Miami. We're in Eric's house right now. The guy is super successful. He actually exited his business for 115 million dollars, which doesn't suck. And uh, <laughs> um, and he's parlayed that into a massive real estate empire. Um, and yeah, the guy's just phenomenal at business. So Eric, welcome to Clever Investor Thanks Show. Thanks for having me. I'm Good excited to see you in Miami. Oh, we're going to oh, bring yeah. the heat today, baby. This show's all about making money, having fun, making your money matter, and just being real and raw for yeah. entrepreneurs and Living investors to freaking know what to look out for. We talk L's. We talk W's. God. We tell war stories. Yeah. And you've got a few. I got a few. You so origi- originally from New Hampshire. Originally from southern New Hampshire, grew up about forty-five minutes north of Boston. Okay, and you got the Boston accent. Boston accent. Grew up kind of in that culture. Yeah. What does that? What, what does that mean? You look like you you were a Boston gangster. I I, I tried for a long time. I'll, I'll leave it at that. I tried for a long time. I mean, but that whole New England Northeast thing is different. You know what I mean? It's um. It's very cultured. There's the way that I grew up. I grew up, you know, surrounded by a criminal element. I grew up surrounded by drugs, drug dealing. I um, was an entrepreneur since my earliest memories. I started selling weed in the fifth grade. I was ten years old. Um, got my first drug sales charge in fifth grade. Uh, still hold the state's record. I don't know whether I should be fucking proud of that or not. You know? You're like, mom, I failed class miserably, yeah. but I got but, the certificate to say I'm the yeah, youngest yeah. drug dealer yeah. in state history. And so, you know, it, it was uh, it was an interesting way to grow up. I, I didn't realize how interesting it was until I started getting out and moving around the world and, and being a little more cultured. Um, you know, it, it's a crazy story. It was... Weed and booze at, at 10, 11, 12. It was ecstasy, ketamine, party drugs, coke at 13, 14. It was Oxycontin, 14, um, which led to heroin by the time I was 15 and really kicked off when I was 16. And, um, and from like 15-ish years old till almost 22, I was a stone-cold, junkie, criminal, um, Wanted to be a gangster and, you know, was for a little while, I guess. Uh, ended up five overdoses, stabbed a couple times, shot at, head split open with a crowbar. You know, half a dozen car accidents I probably shouldn't have walked away from. Life support, breaking my family's hearts, destroyed my life. And, uh, and got sober December 7th of 2006, 135 pounds. Not a friend in the world, not a single person that would pick up my phone call if I called willingly, had to trick them, star six, seven, um, on the run for uh, an armed robbery, a drug deal gone bad that I brought a knife to. I went to a drug deal and uh, without any drugs, with a knife instead, and left with all the money. And um, so I got in trouble for that. And had a couple changes of clothes in, that I carried around in a, in a garbage bag, in a trash bag. And that's how I started. Almost 16 years ago. <laughs> that's, that's a lot that, to unpack. Wow. <laughs> I mean, we'll start there. Y- yeah, I mean, that's that's quite a quite a place to start. So, w- what's your family like? Like, are you just a wild child by heart, or is this like dysfunctional environment that you're growing no, up in? No, dude, I definitely took it a thousand x what my family was. You know what I mean? Like, my parents were. You know, they probably drank and smoked a little weed. And, uh, you know, my father was a logger, so kind of a roughneck um, and, and blue collar. They fought a lot when I was a kid. They got divorced when I was in fifth grade. I lived, you know, between the both of them for two years. Then uh, I became kind of estranged with my mom and my dad ended up raising me alone. Um, 
And so, you know, it's not like I was raised by junkies at all. Uh, I just went hard myself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, you did. Thank thankfully, you didn't die. You know, when I hear you say that, you say it like, it's like rolling off your tongue. It's like all nonchalant. I've just told but the story from, so from many times. From fifth grade, you know? you're such a young child. To, yeah. And you're surviving. You're, you do have an entrepreneurial spirit, obviously, because you're yeah, flipping drugs and doing that. But um, so what was rock bottom? Was rock bottom, you know, when, when, I, when I, have, I have some friends that are uh, recovering you know, they're now sober. Yeah. And their stories are always like, there was always one moment where they were just there. And it was just so bad and so painful. One of my business partners was sitting on the floor of the jail. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, he couldn't even find a seat. They wouldn't even give him a seat. He, he had to sit in the middle of the cell, you know. I think it, for me, it was, it was a buildup over years, right? Like I started trying to get sober and change my life at 17. And I had, I don't dude, a hundred or, or more tried and failed attempts. And, and then when that drug deal went bad, I, I, it sounds a lot, uh, a lot more gangster than it actually was, dude. The kid that was on the other end of that situation, um, I, I robbed him for $82 with a butcher knife. And, um, and I used the 82 bucks and I bought four $20 bags of heroin. And I, by the time I got the dope and went back to the trap house I was staying at, and I was mixing it to, to shoot the four bags, the entire neighborhood was locked down with police. And I knew they were looking for me because he had turned me in. You know, he told them I took the money. He didn't tell them that it was a drug deal, of, of course. And I remember sitting and I hid in a closet all night long. And uh, wait for him to come through the front door. And they never. But you, you, wait, you were doing drugs in a closet, waiting for them to come get you, or you didn't actually do the drugs? Oh, no, I got high on the four bags of heroin. And then I hid in the closet the whole night. And the whole night, I'm sitting there going, I'm fucked. I'm going to prison forever for this. And, um, and I just had this moment of clarity that I was like, if I don't take this opportunity right now, I'm dead or I'm in prison. And I've been so close so many times, dude. I mean, five overdoses, waking up on ventilators in the hospital, you coded, you like, yeah. I mean, dude, so many crazy situations. It's, it's wild. And so that was that moment for me. And, um, and that was the night between December 6th and December 7th. And the next morning I, uh, I took off. I was in the state of Maine. I was in Portland, Maine. And I went back to my home state of New Hampshire and um, on the run, you know, like I said, with a couple changes of clothes and nothing, totally homeless. And uh, and I just started building from there. <laughs> what? It, well, no, I mean, I, I you find said bring it raw, brother. I, I find this fascinating because you know some of my favorite people have had the roughest path yeah. past. You know, I don't trust a man that doesn't have a dark past. You know, because the people that really get there right to the freaking edge, and they're just. They're in so much pain, internal pain, external yeah. pain, hurting people around them. And they finally get there where they're at that breaking moment where yeah. they do draw that line and, and they say enough is enough. Those ones that come out of that and like you become, and I can't wait to tell the other side of the story. Totally. The impact and the success and the, 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 just the way you roll through life. And um, that you got there because you were there. Yeah. You know, and so when I say, wow, like it's me internalizing just that feeling of, I'm, one, I'm proud of you. It's, it's hard to go through what you did. Um, but now you're there. And so are you going to rehab? Like, are you checking yourself into a facility? Dude, I had been to rehab so many times at that point and like rehab and jail and, you know, and, and I've kicked a dope habit. I, I, I didn't have insurance. I didn't have any money. The state-funded place had a two-month-long waiting list, and, and I had to get clean and sober, like, now. Like, I didn't have another day of getting high in me. And, um, and so, no, I didn't. I, I, I called and got on the waiting list for the, for the state-funded, you know, shithole treatment center, and I called every day to check to a bed check and be on the waiting list, and I started kicking a dope habit, and I went into withdrawals. My mom, who I'd been estranged from, let me stay on her couch. 
She had basic cable, and I just literally stayed on the couch and rocked and rolled, dude. Puke, piss, shitted, didn't sleep for a month. After a couple days, I was like, I got to get back to recovery meetings. I need to go to where the people that can help me are. And, um, and I mustered up the energy, and I walked down to a 12-step meeting and walked in, raised my hand, and, and told them who I was and what I was up against. And God's great, man. You know, for me, it's, it's really, it was a God thing. Like, I can't tell the story any other way. And God uses what God has available, and he's got a sense of humor. And so, you know, to, to separate me and, and push me towards what he needed me to be doing with my life, he used an entire police department in a crazy situation. That's how I see it now. And when I got to where I was going through that situation, he placed some amazing men in my life. And, and I was blessed that these guys, I was 21, almost 22 years old uh, when I started. And, and I was surrounded by these guys that gave literally not a single fuck about how I felt, but they cared about my life enough to tell me the truth despite making me upset, holding me accountable to what I needed to be doing despite what I wanted to do, look at me right in my face and be like, yo, you're full of shit. Shut the fuck up. Sit down. Go make the coffee and shut the fuck up. That guy's new. You've been here for 45 days. Go talk to him. Mm. Stop telling us about your fucking problems. Everybody's got problems. Go help that guy. That guy just got here. And, um, and that's what I came up in. And for me, like the path to success it's, you know, it's, it's so broad, but it really started with this internal transformation. And, and I'm grateful for heroin addiction and I'm grateful for the pain and I'm grateful for the trauma because if it, dude, I'm a strong-willed cat. If I didn't have all of that, it wouldn't have broken me down to the point where I was willing to surrender and, that, and the surrender was the prerequisite to a transformational experience. And that's what happened to me in early sobriety. And so I talk so freely about, yeah, I used to rob people. Yeah, I sold drugs. Yeah, I was a piece of shit. Yeah, you know what I mean? I, I did all these things. Because really, in that transformational process, how it feels and what I believe is true is that I died the death of self. I had to give up that life and that guy to become somebody new. And so it's like, I have no, that's not me. It hasn't been me in a very long time. Mm. You know, that's a powerful way to look at it. Totally, so it's like it's like the butterfly coming out of the cocoon. You know, totally it's like a changed. Whole new transformation. Totally different. Yeah, you know, and that's what that process was for me. Like I didn't step in. This is what's interesting is I didn't I didn't step into sobriety and start chasing the bag and chasing the the cars and the houses and the this and the that. I started chasing change and spirituality, and all these things that I was being taught. I mean, I was spending more time in, in prayer and meditation and step work and helping other people and service and going under the bridge and recruiting active addicts and helping them get sober. And you know what I mean? And holding their hand and going into the forest and you know grabbing a guy just like me and walking him out and getting him to safety and going back in and doing it again and chopping wood and carrying water. And out of that became this idea of, I really want to do this professionally, but I'm a fucking 10th grade dropout without a GED and a criminal record. And I'm not a licensed therapist. I'm not a doctor. You know what I mean? How do I do that? And so that's where moving on to the next phase of the story, I got this idea that I want to start a sober house, which at the time, bro, this was 2008. Like everyone knows what a sober house is now. Nobody knew what a sober house was in 2008 in the state of New Hampshire. There wasn't one that existed. And so I started, I was working construction, um, working with my old man, logging, doing tree removal. And, and I started picking up side jobs. And I started going to like the rental store and getting the lights and, you know, renting those and saving money. And my dad lent me a little bit of dough and he helped out. And, um, and, every, and then like this dude from recovery, donated a bunch of furniture and, and everything came together. And long story short, I, we ended up buying, me and my dad, a three-family home in 2008, October 2008, when the world was melting um, for 150 grand. It was bank-owned, foreclosed. And I moved in there in, in October 2008 and lived in that house with 11 men for the next 
two years. Wow. And it was me and 11 guys, and they would come and they would pay me to stay there. And I lived with them. I ate with them. We, I taught them. We woke up together. I'd literally walk you right in the room, grab you by your ankle and be like, uh-uh, wake up. Come on. It's time. Morning disciplines. Let's go. And we would, um, we would go through all of that together and did service work, did recovery together, you know, like a family environment. Guys came and guys left. And, and I just had this passion for helping people. And that was the business that eventually was placed in the position of the opioid epidemic, the addiction crisis blowing up, and New Hampshire and northern New England being like one of the worst areas in the country for it. And so as that spiraled out of control, my little business ended up blowing up into the largest provider of those services, addiction treatment services, inpatient, outpatient, housing, uh, in all of New England. And for anybody listening, the, the company that Eric eventually exited from for $115 million, which is just a staggering amount of money, started from that little house. Yeah. And yeah. you started, so, so, you know, and what I love about this, besides just the fact that you're, you, you, you owned it, you lived it, you were there with those people, and you were leading with service, um, there was a real estate undertone to it because it started with the house. Yeah. You know, and here you are. It's like, I bought a, I bought a distressed asset. I figured out how to buy it. I figured out how to furnish it. I figured out, I used it to house hack. I lived in it. I got other people in there and now you created this little sober living environment. And then now the, the world is, you said there's an opiate, op, opioid epidemic going yeah. on in your area. And you're starting to see, wow, like, there's a lot of people that need help out there. So are you immediately like, I can turn this into a business? Is it happening by accident? You see what I'm saying? Is it like, well, maybe I'll just do one more of these and, and then all of a sudden it's like, I'll do two more of these. Or are you starting to see a path now of like, wow, I can actually turn this into a real empire? It happened gradually over time. Um, it, it was really a labor of love, right? Like I was living there with those guys and they were paying me every month to stay there. Um, but I was still working construction for a few years and I was still getting up every morning, putting my work boots on and, and going and, and getting it done. And then I had so many people that want to live there in a limited amount of space. I was like, well, I'll open a second one and I'll have a house manager to oversee it. And then that turned into one thing. And then eventually kind of light bulb went on. It was like, I, I want to be the biggest and I want to be the best. And a house in a, in a house might be too small. Or are you like, hey, I'm just going to do a ton of these houses? Or are you immediately thinking, I need a bigger place? Bigger place, but, but you have to kind of understand the industry. I wanted to do full-scale every service that's provided. And so medical detox, a licensed healthcare facility, um, you know, physicians, nurses, therapists, billing insurance, like just a full. And so by the end, we had 15 operating entities uh, 440 treatment beds, 325 employees was the size of the company. Say that again. 440 treatment beds yep. spread across 15 companies that all were under this one umbrella business called Granite Recovery Centers. And so we had 15 different little operating entities, some big, some small, some medium. And uh, the team that operated the business was 325 employees was the head count. Wow. Around the, you know, leading up to and at the time of my exit. Okay. So now you're, you got this vision. It's, you're pulling all these pieces together and you're like, okay, I can, I can do this. Yeah. Are you burning the boats on the logging business? <laughs> you know, are you like, I'm not going to do construction. I'm going all in on this. Well, dude, mind you, the logging business was my dad's business and I'm his only child. And my entire life, he raised me. He was like, you know, when you get up, get older and take over this company and, and so I had a lot of pressure on me to be third, kind of fourth generation doing this work. And several years in, when, when I really felt like I wanted to go full-time with building this business, I had to go have a conversation with my dad, which was very difficult, which was like, hey, listen, this was your life, and I'm grateful for it. And I'm grateful for all the hard work that you put out to provide for me. I mean, the man, the man put work boots on every day of his life. 
and got up and went out there and, and got it done. And it's hard work. But I want to do something different. And I feel, and it was very difficult, you know, and, and um, but he supported me. And, um, you know, it was something he was a part of and he was proud of me. And, uh, and so I made the transition then, which was probably about 2010. Yeah. I can imagine that being a tough conversation. You, you feel like you're letting somebody down that's really, yeah, totally. really been there and stepped up. And All right. So let's talk real estate a li- little bit. Let's talk. Right? So, yeah. you know, what we've had conversations, obviously, about, you know, just like the, the power of the real estate portfolio because you actually had two exits. Yeah. Right? So, you know, when you have a business, right, and I really believe the whole purpose of starting companies and scaling companies is to own real estate. Like if you are starting a business and you don't own the real estate that that business operates in, you're missing a big opportunity there. Huge. And so for you, you have holding companies that went off and found and bought these facilities or properties, renovated them maybe, got them all working and ready. And then your drug treatment facilities would rent Correct. From yeah. them. I was really, I was essentially building two businesses. I was building the operating company that was the tenant of the real estate that provided the services that had all the employees and all of that. Mm-hmm. And then I had a, a real estate holding company that I was building alongside as the landlord and the real estate developer for the operating business. Um, and you're spot on. I mean, if you're, if you're in business that is a brick and mortar type of situation of any kind. If you're not looking to own that real estate and develop that real estate, you're missing a huge opportunity. You know, really cool real estate story. I, um, and this is just the power of real estate. And, and I don't know where else this would happen, but I'm sitting around in 2011. I want to open a new facility. I'm out making some noise, looking around New Hampshire for, for real estate and property. Uh, this I find this real estate agent finds me and says, "Hey, I have something you might be interested in." It's a former small private school uh, in a town called Canterbury, New Hampshire, in the middle of nowhere. I go and look at it. Um, the guy wants like 1.2 million. I said, "Hey, that's real nice. I got 200 grand. That's all I got." He says, "Get the fuck off my property." <laughs> this is in the summer. December, same real estate agent calls me and says, hey, this thing's uh, now being foreclosed upon by the bank. It's got a $1.2 million mortgage on it. They're bringing it to an absolute auction, uh, auctions in January. I go there with my dad. I bring him with me. And, um, and I go to this real estate auction for this property that is mortgaged, I forget what bank, uh, for $1.2 million. It's like 17 acres, this beautiful campus, would be a perfect addiction treatment facility, right? And um, and I sign up to bid, first auction ever, you know, steep terms, you're gonna close within 30 days. I know, like, I'm not even going, I don't even think I have a shot in hell. Mm-hmm. I got 200 grand, that's what I got. Like, this thing goes to 205, I'm out. And um, one other guy uh, registers the bid and auction kicks off. The guy starts, you know, doing the auctioneer thing and blah, 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 blah. Me and this guy are in a, a, a gridlock staring at each other. Finally, the guy stops and says, Wait, can one of you just start us off with an offer? I raised my paddle. I said, 100 grand. Stare at the other guy, you know? And um, long story short, I walked out of that auction and bought that property for $100,000 that day. The bank stopped the countdown, said, whoa, 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 whoa. Before we let this thing go for hundred grand, we gotta we gotta make a call. I'm sure they called the head honcho, walked outside, made the call, came back in, looked at the auctioneer, went, go. They said, looked at the other guy, said, do you have a bid? The guy said, nope. And uh, and I got the property for a hundred thousand. What? I swear. Nobody to God, bid against you. This guy looked at me and just said, you know, he's out. And um, dude, that was God moving dude, pieces away you know around for you. Dude, you know what's crazy is I had like, you know, a paddle that had a number on it. And um, then I got sober on 12-step recovery. And in, in that, the literature of the program of recovery uh, is 164 pages. And so you'll hear it all the time. You'll be like, oh, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the program of recovery as described in the first 164 pages. 
I got outside to like call back to the team and let them know like, yo, we just bought a treatment center. And I looked down at my hand and the fucking paddle numbers 164. Mm. And I was like, God, you're funny, huh? And I like knew my mission. Yeah. I was like, all right, bet. Like I, I know what we're doing. Fast forward though, I put a little bit of money into the place. I get zoning approval. I took the risk and bought it without zoning approval because I'm at an auction and you don't have the time for that. I, I fought my way through the municipality over several years to get approval. I went in, created an operating company, ran the operating company for several years. So created a, a credit rating of revenue and audited books and a proof of concept of the tenant. And then um, in, in 2015, I wanted to buy this mega campus, which is really the thing that put the business on the map. It's huge. 80 acres, almost 100 beds. So you, you were on to something now. You knew, hey, I'm not, if I can buy these like old schools or old campuses and turn them into these facilities, that's a better path than, you know, converting like just a big commercial building into a bunch of beds. It or was something. finding the right oddball real estate for my use, for sure. Did I find this campus for $10 million? That's what I got the guy down to. I'm like, dude, the bank's gonna give me. 75%, I got to come up with two and a half million dollars. I don't have two and a half million dollars at the time. And, um, and I went, and this is when I started to figure out, I was like, this was a major light bulb for me because I owned that thing. And I was close with the banker that gave me the loan for that and then was going to give me the loan for this. And he said, Eric, well, you own that thing over there. Why don't we get it appraised? And I was like, why the fuck are we going to do that? Like, I had no clue. I learned this all as I went, and, uh, and we got it appraised, and the property appraised for uh, like $5.2 million. And I had all this equity, and I was like, oh, fuck. And so I recapped that property and used the equity as the down payment to purchase the next one. And um, yeah, crazy. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, crazy. And so the property that I bought. It's sad that we don't teach these things in school. Just Dude, basic it's, real estate it's fundamentals. Because where else are you going to do that? Yeah, and so the property that I bought for the $10 million, I sold, uh, I don't know, two and a half months ago for $15 million as part of a package that I sold to a publicly traded REIT recently. It's crazy. The one that I, I put the note on that I'm telling you about, the one I got at the auction, um, I just sold... I think we sold that one for four million, but still, nonetheless, amazing. It's crazy. Yeah, it's amazing. Nuts. So you're building these, this empire. Yep. Right. Are you building it to exit? Or are you just building it to build it and one foot in front of the other? It's like, I'm hey, let's do another it. one. Let's do another one. Let's do another Dude, one. I'm I'm building it because I'm on the front lines of the addiction thing. It's getting worse. I'm watching people die at scale. Fentanyl shows up. Uh, in like 2012, 2013, overdose, death, spikes. By 2014, 15, it becomes the leading number one accidental killer in America. You're statistically more likely to die as an 18 to 55-year-old adult of an opioid overdose than a car accident. And that, that transition happened at the height of my career in building this. My friends all die. Every kid I ever got high with and ran the streets with, one by one fucking died. Every one of their mothers cried on my shoulder. And, you know, I watched their children grow up with both parents. And it was just a mission. Like, and so I had, I was not thinking, I didn't even know, dude, again, blind, dumb luck. Like, I didn't, I'm a 10th grade dropout. I didn't even know you could sell a business. Like, I'm sure you could, but it just wasn't something I was thinking about at the time as I was building. It was a labor of love. It was a mission. I felt like, a, you know, I was on the front lines of a really important crisis that was affecting a lot of people. And um, so scaling to 300 plus employees is no easy feat. Like, is this something that, because like for me, I didn't know what I was doing. I, <laughs> I, I got, I got lucky enough to scale to one, a little over a hundred team members yep. at uh, one of my companies. And um, it, it really was one or two key hires that helped me do all the rest. Yep. Was that the same for you? Like, because it seems overwhelming. Like, how in the heck am I going to grow and scale a business? It's really just a couple key people in a couple key seats. It's, I learned it all as I went. I mean, as we were exploding in growth, 
at one point, I was like running myself ragged. Just all I was doing, I had like 17 direct reports. Every department answered to me, like all of them. I had my hands in absolutely everything. And, um, and it was probably 2017 that I divested into a couple different things. The growth had happened. And now I needed to, to learn about creating systems, creating an org chart, creating a leadership team, professionalizing this business. It's a real company now. We have 300 employees where, you know, this is, this is a real deal business. And we need to start. It went from mom and pops to, okay, how do I professionalize? And that's when I started to build a leadership team around me. And, um, and you know, the path of, you look at the path of having 17 direct reports, absolutely having my hands in everything, needing to grow past thinking that I needed to be in everything, right? Like, I, no one could do it as good as me. I, you need my help and blah, blah, blah. All the way to fast forward four, maybe close to five years later, and I'm stepping down as CEO. Mm. I'm replacing myself as CEO and stepping out to executive chairman. And for the last 10 months of ownership, while we were in a process uh, to bring the company to market and sell it, I, I never even went there. I went to a board meeting once a month. I was strategic. I was an advisor to the CEO. And so there was immense amount of experience what do you, and growth. What do, how do you find a CEO like that? What do you pay that person? Hey, sorry for the interruption. I'm going to let you get right back to the episode. But I wanted to share with you something real quick that I think is going to help your business in a major way. A few years ago, I started a real estate mastermind, and we call ourselves the Avengers. It's an experiential mastermind. There's about 175 members. They're all super high level. They're all gaining skills and capabilities. Networking is off the charts. So if you're looking to get plugged into something that's going to really lift your business up in a major way, check out Join avengersmastermind.com watch the video that's on there read all the information and see if getting plugged into a mastermind would be right for you that's join avengersmastermind.com i hired my ceo i overhired my C my coo position i overhired for and so the man that i hired had impressive experience he had been in leadership roles including ceo roles for complicated healthcare businesses in the past, didn't know the nuances of my industry. I brought him on as my number two. I spent a year or so with him side by side every day, taught him as much as I possibly could, and, and developed a succession plan that he would then, once he had the nuance down and the timing was right, that he would fill my seat and that I would step up to executive chairman. And so, but I mean, he, he came, I think probably the most impressive job on his resume was he was the CEO of like a $2 billion publicly traded dialysis business. Oh, wow. And so the one thing that I did do that I would recommend anyone who's growing a business is I created a, a, an equity pool, um, of a management equity pool structured them as profit interest units, which is an interesting structure to let people to participate in the growth and value creation of the business. And, and then I, I, I gave each one of these executives in this leadership team um, different sizes of profit interest units and got them all aligned. So is, is a profit interest unit kind of like a class B stock or something in the company? It's, it's a kind of, here's how to explain it. It is, it is based off the current valuation. And so it, it gives the, the person who's receiving it the ability to participate in the upside from the point in which they entered the company. So for instance, if we said, okay, based on revenue, EBITDA, assumed multiple market conditions, this business is worth $40 million dollars. And I'm going to give you, Cody, to be my chief marketing officer, one profit interest unit. The problem with that, if I gave it to you in straight stock, that would create a taxable event. And so I'd actually probably be hurting you because you probably don't have the tax to pay for this piece of equity that I'm going to give you, right? I give you a profit interest unit that, that has a threshold that says, okay, this is a $40 million business. The threshold for this one is 400 grand. 
So when we transact, the waterfall at the transaction for you only kicks in after the first 400 grand is met. And so you're not getting paid for value that was created prior to your tenure at the business, but you get to participate in value that was created while you were there. And so if we sell for 100 million and you joined at the $40 million mark, every one PIU is going to be worth the 400,000 of the water flow is going to come back to me. And then everything after the 400,000 is going to spill to you. So that one PIU would be, in fact, worth in that scenario, 600,000. And so that's how we structured it. Got it. That's actually really smart. Alignment equals velocity. I've said that on other podcasts. Traction. Like, it's everything. The second 100%. you get your, your management team, your leadership team in alignment with you, oh, magic starts happening. And you were smart enough to eventually realize, I can't be in 17 conversations, getting all these reports, getting all the, doing all these meetings, and trying to be Dude, all things was, to all people I was, I, and not I mean, burn out. I've made more fucking mistakes than I have won, but I just never gave up and I took my losses like a champ. And like at that time, I look back and you don't know what you don't know until you know it. But dude, I'm burnt out. I'm running ragged. I'm eating like shit. I got fat. It, like I'm stressed out. I'm cranky at home. Like, you know. Are you making good money sure. at this time? Yeah, but but what's good money? Like, like you're, you built a nice little dude. I don't. It's hard to quantify looking back because because every like dollar, are you a millionaire at this point? Yeah, for sure. Okay, for sure. Like take home, bringing in a millionaire. Yeah, the the company is probably is probably sitting at five, six, seven million dollars of EBIT or a year. Uh, but then I also parallel to all of this developed. Uh, residential real estate. I've been a builder for a long time. Okay. And so one of the things that I did was I built houses, flipped houses, built condo developments, and constantly had real estate projects going on. And that's how I paid my bills. And so I actually paid my bills outside of the business, never took a salary. And oh, you didn't? I didn't. I didn't until the end when we were going to sell because I had to normalize, all right, if we're going to have a CEO, yeah. we're going to have to pay that guy something. And so uh, they put me on the books for like but that's actually grand. really brilliant because I did the opposite. Which is, my company I, would make money and I'd take it all. I did. I the, treated it like a piggy bank. Yeah. No, seriously, this is real, real shit. Well, you know, in the beginning, it's not like somebody sat me down and said, all right, Cody, you're going to set up an LLC. And in this LLC, you're going to set up a salary. And then and we're going to run, our, we're going to set up three bank accounts. You're going to have your operating account. You're going to have your tax account. And then you're going to have your whatever account. Like they, nobody like yeah. modeled it out for me. So it was like I, one LLC, one bank account, three people with a dream. We make $20,000. And I'm like, all right, here's your two. Here's your four. And here's my 16. Yeah. Let's go back at it. I, I let all the money recycle back into the... One, I was making cash flow off of being a landlord. I had market rents. And so I was making my debt service coverage and then taking money being the landlord. That helped pay my bills. All right. So that's important because remember, the operating a company is... Your company is helping buy the real estate, but then it's rent... And then it's becoming a tenant of the real estate. Totally. You're now... And you're charging market rents... So even though your mortgage is down here, your market rents are up here, there's a spread that's being left over in this holding so, company's bank account. And you have to remember that I started the business at 23 years old with no experience, a high school dropout in 2008. And so for anyone old enough, they can remember 2008, there was no banking. You couldn't borrow any money. There, I mean, it was the middle of the financial crisis and the Great Recession. And so the world was melting as I was starting a business and I didn't know any different. And so I was just very used to making a dollar and, you know, eating off 10 cents and putting 90 cents back into the business. And so high level, what I did, it took a lot longer than some people wanted to take. But I built a business that top line did give or take about $50 million in revenue. And I never had any debt. Brilliant. I had never had an investor dollar, never had an outside dollar of any. This is why you were buyable. hundred percent. Yeah, this is why you were buyable. And so, you know, that was by putting the money back in just constantly. And growth is expensive. If your business is growing, it's going to cost a lot of money to grow, you know? Okay. 
So let's talk about some of the real estate stuff on the side. Yeah. So now you're flipping houses, you're building some things. You were always kind of had a knack for the building side of things. Yeah. So that probably came, real estate came I grew natural. up around it, yeah. Okay. You're buying probably, getting pretty good at buying cheap assets, distressed assets, yeah. off-market deals, fixing them up, selling them. I know now you're still doing that. Even after your exit, you're still mm-hmm. buying, holding. So are you, do you own a lot of real estate? Are you more on the flipping side of things? So what gets you excited in the real estate business? What I'm doing now is in real estate is two different things. One, I've started another operating business uh, doing the same exact thing, addiction treatment, but in new states. And so we're launching and we'll be accepting patients uh, in about two and a half weeks. We'll be uh, live in Columbus, Ohio. And so then I'm buying the the real, doing, doing exactly what I did before. And so I'm buying the underlying real estate assets I'm developing them, and now I'm creating the operating company uh, as the tenant. And so the operating company will be live and generating revenue in two weeks. Um, and then the underlying real estate assets I'm developing, I own a ton of potential behavioral healthcare real estates, Ohio, a couple sites in Ohio, Texas, New Jersey, et cetera. Um, and then separate from that, what I did was after I sold the operating business, and had the $115 million exit, I retained all the real estate. And so even though I didn't own the business anymore, I was still the landlord. For anyone that's selling a business, please pay attention to the real estate as you're you're thinking through a sale. It's much easier to set it up on the front end before you have buyers, and this is the way, and this is how you introduce it to them, than it is later. I negotiated a corporate guarantee with my new buyer, I negotiated a lease extension. Explain what a corporate guarantee is. So, so I, the real estate that I had leased to the operating business was guaranteed by the operating business. I was purchased by a much larger business that bought the company and consolidated it into that company. That company makes a lot more money than the company I sold them. What I did was at the time of sale and around that was I renegotiated the leases to include a guarantee of the rent from this giant company. Right. And so it it increased the credit rating, right? If you're a buyer, you're like, okay, well, this little business, it was a big business to me, but the one I sold is the guarantor to it. That's one thing. But, oh, this national business that's owned by a private equity fund and blah, 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 that's the guarantor. That's a lot safer bet. So now if I roll in, I want to buy your real estate from you, I see the credit worthiness of this. It increases the value. Yeah. And then the length of the lease was the other point of, of interest. And so I, I got the corporate guarantee and I extended the lease. And then I brought, um, I brought a lot of the portfolio to market. I exited that uh, in a couple tranches, still not done. Uh, by the time I, I fully exit out of all of it, I will have uh, divested about $40 million in real estate uh, outside of the $115 million transaction. I'm, I'm already about $25.5 million of my way through that. I have closings set on other deals that'll probably tip me over 30, and then I'm holding this kind of lesser asset class. I don't like what's happened to cap rates. And so I don't know what I'm going to do with it yet. You it's might about, wait it out or see. It's about $10 million worth of real estate. It's stuff that, you know, if some, it's all multifamily stuff that's used as house. Anyways, I wouldn't mind taking the keys back if I had to from yeah. the tenant. It's low risk. And so whatever. I've done what's called a 1031 exchange with, so I got out of this commercial single tenant asset class got a good valuation for it. Everyone was happy. And, and I, I did a 1031 exchange process and we flipped that into almost 600 uh, multifamily and single family units um, spread across almost 400 in Ohio. Um, I also bought some more commercial real estate with that that's outside of those units for behavioral healthcare purposes. And then two, a portfolio of 200 single-family homes in Columbus, Georgia. Wow. And so- You're cranking, dude. Busy. Having fun, though. Yeah. Having a blast. Yeah. So 
And I love that. And yeah. I call you, I, we got a, a, a facility under contract in Texas. You were my first call. Yep. 100%. You know, it's like, what am I dealing with here? Right away, you're like, let me connect you with my boy. Yep. He handles stuff like this. Let, let him help you. Like, it was like, it's phenomenal to have good mentors like you in my orbit. Same. Um, so I want to really get real for a second because I dream of a $115 million exit, right? I know one of my companies one day will have a nice exit. What was it like? staring at your bank account. You put in all this work. We were talking about this at dinner last night. I want them to hear it. Like, you finally make it, man. It's like winning the lottery of life, right? <laughs> it's like, I have more money than I know what to do with. You're staring at your bank account. You're like, Pfft. and you have this future exit with the real estate. Like, you know, you're good. Yep. Your family's good. You're good. You can do anything that you want. What, what do you feel? What happens next? Like, are you on a high? Do you eventually fade out? Like, what is it like? Dude, I'm on a high. I, um, it was a really interesting experience because leading up to it, I didn't know how the fuck I was going to feel. I didn't, this was my baby. I got sober and I started this business. It was my life. For a long time, dude. Like, I started it. It was pretty much my entire adult life, right? I started at 23. I sold it at 36. I mean, it was, I had two kids during that time. I went through, I mean, and so there was this emotional attachment to the business as a lifestyle and, and all of that. And so that was one component of it. The money was one component of it. I mean, that's enough money as long as you live, like, a decent lifestyle. Like, you never have to fucking do anything again. I mean, candidly, right? You can live off the dividends of that forever. And, you know, your great-grandkids probably will too. Mm. And so and so I didn't know. And, and I, I took some time off. I had been on the grind every day, working my face off my entire adult life. And I got a little lost, dude. I really did. I got a little lost in like, hanging out and, you know, not doing much and not being productive. And um, what I learned about myself with that is that I am happiest doing what I do. And so I'm, I'm now, after finding my way back, awake at 5 a.m. in the morning, going to bed early, leading teams, building, creating business, doing deals, providing value, helping people. Like those are the things that like I look at my life today and the the assets are cool. We certainly have a ton of fun. And you know, I'm not taken away from that. I think everyone, if that's your dream to be rich, you fucking should. But I mean you I mean you did ball out. You I, got the yacht. <laughs> you got the private jet. You bought every you you would roll in and spend 20, 30, 50K shopping on a Tuesday yeah. because you're bored. Yeah, did all of it. You know, and, and at it. some point, the women, the, the, the items, the luxury, the yeah. stuff, it's like at some point, you just get numb to it. You get numb to it, bro. It loses its shine. It's, it's cool for a little bit until it ain't that fucking cool anymore. You know, and, uh, and it, it feels shallow, shallow, hollow, and empty. And it's just not meaningful. You know, like you can get up and go in your boat and go travel and do whatever you're doing. So listen, guys, by your 50th threesome, living in Miami <laughs> on your Jesus yacht Christ. as your PJ skids into your- I don't know your, what he's talking about. <laughs> you, you'll get numb to it, all right? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, um, you know, and so, I don't know. It was- <laughs> Just kidding. Cody's fine. Yeah, I'm ready to go forever. Yeah, load up, load, load up the PJ. Up. Um, yeah, man, it, it's um, I've found where I found my I'm back, and I've found kind of my sweet spot. Yeah. And I like building. I like creating. I like business. I like operating. Well, dude, I, you look good. You sound good. You. You're losing weight. You're gaining yeah. muscle. You're back on a regimented routine. 100%. You're, you're bringing in people like our buddy West to, yeah. you know, just kind of like hold wow, you accountable, man, coach them. you. Dude, that interview with Wes Watson was fire. I that bet. was fire. This, is a, this, this, all, this interview is also fire because it's real, man. People who really have gone through it tell yeah. the best stories. Um, so now the future, how do you feel about the market right now? 
Dude, I started in a recession. I started in a, in a much worse economic climate than this is now. And so I personally feel fine. I think a lot of people are, are going to learn a lot over this next few years, for sure. My advice, a lot of people ask me that question. And I, I tell them, you know, when you look out in the world, you have to differentiate from an investment and a business thesis. What's a need and what's a want? If you, can, if you can align yourself with needs, then you're going to be just fine. Those things thrive in a recession. The wants are going to shrink, right? The wants, less people are going to go on vacation. Less people are going to buy stuff they don't need. Less people are going to splurge on this and splurge on that, you know? Like, I, I, I shouldn't, but I, I like to poke fun a little bit. I'm like, where's all these fucking NFT guys? <laughs> you know what I mean? Where the fuck are they? Big balling. They're not at live dropping 30 grand on a table anymore. I promise you that. Yeah. They're sitting at home crying, looking at their fucking bored apes and whatever <laughs> the fuck they're doing, you know? And so, you know, when you look at my, like, I'm back in healthcare. You know, in a recession, people are going to have mental health and addiction and alcoholism problems. They do in any economy, but the more the stress, the more the maladaptive behavior to it. And so those problems are going to be exacerbated. I'm in the re underlying real estate to that. And then I'm in, you look at my real estate thesis, I'm in B and C class affordable housing. And so, you know, I'm not all in- All things that are needed. All Dude, they're all necessities. And, and so, you're launching your first fund? Launch my first fund, um, raising capital for that, which is- To go and do more of those things. To, to go and do more of those things. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, you. Uh, I know what I know. Now, yep. you know, and I think it's smart, you know, I mean, even though you have a ton of money, you, you have a ton of money that you're already investing. You want to go further faster. So you're going to raise more capital, get more aggressive. 100%. You see the opportunity. Yep. Yeah. Yep. What, what you know, you got two kids, right? Um, how old are they? Uh, 11 years old and 14 months. Okay. So reset and an 11 year old. What are you going to, what, what? What are you going to teach them about money? Because I think about this a lot with my kids. Walking into money, entitlement. Like, we're hustlers. That was born out of the environment. That was born yep. out of looking around saying, I want more than this. Like, yep. this is crazy. Like, I, I, I my, my parents never gave me money for anything. I always had to create it, always had to hustle, always had to figure things out. Um, and so... How do you take somebody that now you're, I mean, we're, we're, you, you might not be able to see this, but we're sitting in a 20 plus million dollar house on an island in the middle of Miami. There's luxury cars all over the damn place out front. <laughs> I'm staring at the bay right now. Yeah. There are a there, there's a hundred mega yachts floating by all, all right now. And it's like, I'm a little kid. I'm 11 years old. This is normal. I know. Dad's PJ is normal. Like, no, like, how do you teach them the value of money working hard and transfer that to them? Like, what, how do you think about that? It's, it's honestly been something that's been front and center on my mind for a long time. And so I tell my son candidly, like, you don't have shit. Like, my trust and estate plan, which, of course, when I die, I hope to leave, you know, not spend this all before I'm gone. And so both of my sons will, will receive something meaningful. Um, I have rules built into that, that if they are not productively working 40 hours a week, they get nothing. There will be no trust fund babies around here. You will be productive. You will work. I have always instilled in them, in, in my older one, you know, I will my younger one, the values of hard work, um, I take him along with me on a lot of things. Like he is, that was one of the things my dad did for me, which I'm eternally grateful for was, you know, I spent time riding in the front seat of his truck, going to the estimates, watching him write them up, watching him do the sales pitch to get the job. Yeah, you know, like I was front row to all of that. And so my son's been front row his entire life to all of this. He knows, he knows about the hard work. Um, and he also knows that like, your dad might be rich. You're not. You don't have shit. Let's get real clear on that. You know what I mean? Like, you're not entitled to all this. And if you grow up and you're a fucking loser and you're entitled 
and you think that I or anyone owes you shit, you're getting nothing, literally nothing. And, um, and it's just through constant conversation, and I just have always kept it real with him, you know? And I still do. And so he's actually- Like, um, are you going to force, like, say you got two sons. Are you going to force them uh, to sign prenups? Yeah. If they get married? For sure. Yeah. yeah me too. 100%. My son. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I love that you are. And he could blame me for it. Yeah. Like, yeah I don't you, know, my old man, it's, the trust. It's, tr- it's part of the trust. I can't do anything about it. That's right. Yeah. I love that. Yep. Um, and I would even consider building in there that you random drug tests. It's, a, it's already in there. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. My trust actually I love that. requires drug testing. He has to be clean and sober. Um, I, tell my, I tell my daughter and my son, look, you're never going to be homeless. I will guarantee that, but you ain't living like me unless you earn it. Yep. You know, that's, that's for sure. And, uh, I, I, I love bringing my son around with me yeah, totally. to my projects and all that stuff. And he's getting it now. Yep. We talk about money and the value of money and the importance of money. It is part of our routines. When we talk leadership, success, money, obligation, servitude, yep. you know, uh, what entitlement means. You know, there's been times where he stole money from me. And if anybody watches me on social, like I put him through the freaking ringer. It's like, oh, you're going to daddy boot camp now. Like, because now kids with games, right? They'll, they'll buy gems and skins and, and all kinds of shit in their games. Yeah. And so we're always, uh, like if anything happens where he, he'll blow through a few hundred bucks and then I find out about it, it's like, oh, you're going to <laughs> three months of daddy boot camp and you're going to work your ass off for yep. that. I hope you enjoyed that money because you are about to pay me back 10 times that amount through yep. physical labor. Um, it's important. What would, you, what would you, you know, to kind of end this strong, man, and you shared a lot of really cool, cool stuff. What would you say to some entrepreneur listening to, to this podcast or watching this right now? What advice would you give somebody? Just never give up. You know, a lot of your, the level of success that you'll achieve is defined by your ability to manage stress, resiliency, overcome adversity. It's meant to be fucking hard. Like, it's not easy. It's not supposed to be easy. There is no fast track. And it's probably going to take longer than you think it's going to. But you just, you just stick to the day-to-day structure, you know, how you structure your day, your daily disciplines, and the things that you pay attention to and focus on is what will come into fruition. You know, and by that, I mean, like, I think there's a lot of value in, in having a morning discipline. I think there's a lot of value in having mentorship. I think there's a lot of value in prioritizing self-education. You nailed it earlier when you were like, why doesn't school teach you any of this shit? You know, it doesn't. Unless you're going for an MBA at Harvard, like, it doesn't. And you know what? Most of those MBA guys from Harvard fucking work for guys like me and you. And so who taught ourselves this shit, you know? And so... Just don't give up and, and, and hard work and and be prepared for any and every problem because it's all going to happen. You know? I love that. Toughen up. Don't be a little bitch. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, <laughs> that's the summation bitch. of that conversation. Yeah, 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 don't be yeah. a little bitch and don't quit. I love yeah, well, that. mental toughness. I, I mean, people, it's underrated, especially in today's societal environment. That's, you know, talking about mental toughness in, in a lot of areas of society is, is not popular. But if this is the path you want, fuck, you're going to need it. I've been gossiped about, stolen from, backstabbed, betrayed. I've had my heart broken by employees I loved. I've been through, I've had national media crises. I've had, uh, dude, at one point, fucking, I had a private equity deal queued up in 2019 and nine days before I was getting a check for $40 million, a top executive in my company was exposed for being a DEA informant because he had gotten busted in a relapse, trafficking drugs, blew up my private equity deal. And I fucking owed the IRS, like, of the letter in a frame in my office up north that was like them talking about in August of 2019. That like, which the deal blew up in July and I had promised them the money from the closing table to the IRS that um, 
that they were going to put a lien on my house and start calling my neighbors. And in August, September, October, November, I became the company's lead sales guy, put a suit back on, got a bag, humbled the fuck out of myself, got on the road, traveled all in New England, knocked on every fucking door there was to knock on. And by November, we had the best month that we've ever had. And then fast forward to December 21, I was supposed to sell at a $50 million valuation, 80%, 40 million, take on a private equity partner, which probably would have sucked. And I end up getting a complete exit fucking not that long later for, you know. Blessings. Almost three times blessings, the money. That's blessings. what I'm saying. Like you just, dude, I thought I was dead. I thought I was dead. And you just can't give up. And, um, you know, have the humility to do the work, any and all of the work. I love that you just put the suit back on. You're like, this isn't going to stop Let's me. Go. I've been through worse. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I remember walking into emergency rooms right after that incident. And, um, and I had a suit on. I had my brochures. And the nurses in the behavioral health care unit of the hospital are like, aren't you Eric Spofford? I was like, yeah. It's like, aren't you in the news this week for some crazy shit? I'm like, listen, I brought you donuts. What's up? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, I got some brochures. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. God. What a strong way to end this, man. Yeah, man. Just on a, on a, on a riff that motivates the heck out of Wild. you. Wild. Yeah. You know? I appreciate well, you I love, I love getting to know you, man. I'm grateful that you're in my orbit and, and a mentor totally. of mine Same. when it comes to some of the— That's so I, I see the potential in the things that you're doing. I'm definitely interested in investing in the fund. People want to get a hold of you. How do they do that? At Eric Spofford on Instagram is the easiest. That's where I'm most active. Yep, and you're putting out content every single day. You know, a lot of getting more busy with that too. I like it. Stepping it up. We need more Eric Spofford in our lives on social <laughs> media. So keep doing that. Yeah, and uh, for everybody watching this, make sure you go follow him and uh, make sure you give this podcast a freaking five star review. If you're getting some value hey, out of these things, you better get on there and give my guy a fucking five star review. There we go. That's that's a great way to end. <laughs> Until next time, we're out of here. Take care. Comb your hair. Peace.